pop culture and politics. This is the Michael Medved Show. And another great day in this greatest nation on God's green earth. A great day to talk about a great man who uh, went to his reward without most Americans fully appreciating his contributions to this country. I'm talking about not the father of the A-bomb. Robert Oppenheimer has gotten a gigantic uh, amount of publicity recently because of the movie about him. Uh, But the father of the H-bomb, who is a character in the Oppenheimer movie, his name is Edward Teller, and the very last interview that he did at age 95, right before his passing, uh, was a deeply revealing interview with Paul Kangor, who's my guest. And Paul, of course, is a professor of history and of political science at Grove City College in Grove City, Pennsylvania. He is also the chief of the Institute for Faith and Freedom, an indispensable think tank at Grove City College. Uh, Paul, uh, I assume that uh, you watched the Oppenheimer movie with a great deal of interest. We will get to that in a moment. But I also want to say you have a scientific proposition of your own. Uh, You say it's not rocket scientists, it's not rocket science, but that Republicans uh, need to nominate a candidate who can plausibly get 50% of the vote. So we're going to talk about who that would include as a potential nominee and who that would exclude as a potential nominee. That all coming up with Paul Kangor. Uh, Paul, first of all, uh, you saw, I am quite sure, the Oppenheimer movie, which is one of the biggest hits of the year. Well, unfortunately, Michael, I have not yet seen it, and and that's nothing against the film. I just haven't had a chance to see it yet. I do plan to go see it. It hasn't come to the little theater in my town. Not that I can't go, you know, further than my town to see it. But um, but I went ahead and I wrote the piece that I did on Edward Teller anyway, because I I had heard that Teller is in the movie. I I'm not sure how he's treated. I've heard mixed reviews about that. And I thought, um, well, regardless of whether I've seen the movie or not, I, I need to get this piece out there about Edward Teller, especially when I realized when I went, went back and looked at my notes, it was almost 20 years ago exactly. In fact, it was like mid-July 2003 that I interviewed him at his, his home in Palo Alto, California. And it was, um, it was a surreal experience. I, I, <laughs> I, I knocked on the front door, and it was kind of a – kind of a shaky screen door there were oxygen tanks outside which turned out they were they were for him the patient inside there's no security there were a couple nurses inside and i walked in and he was dressed for the office he had he had a suit on a tie boots but he was reclined completely horizontally and um in in like a, a a bed position and and I thought to myself, oh man, this this guy, this, I'm looking at a dying man here. And I didn't put all of this in the the long piece that I did on this for American Spectator because I thought maybe this would be a little inappropriate. But there were a number of times that he started coughing and gagging and calling for for the nurse. And I ran out of the room to get the nurse. And I thought, uh, man's going to die right here. 
And I thought, gee, this is not what I want to be remembered for, right? The guy who was next to Edward Teller when he died. Uh, but but he was, um, he kind of rallied and, and I apologized. And I said, look, I, I shouldn't be here. We'll just call off the interview. And he said, no, no, I want you to stay. I want you to stay. And, and we he was 95 years for, He was 95 years old at the time you came to see him. He was 95 years old. Yeah, okay, yeah. And how did the interview come to be? How did you get the idea that uh, of all the 95-year-olds in Palo Alto, California, you wanted <laughs> to see Edward Teller, the father of the H-bomb? Well, I was doing research on a couple books on Ronald Reagan, and, and it turned out that uh, one was God and Ronald Reagan, and the other was the one, the Crusader, Ronald Reagan and the Fall of Communism. And In fact, the Crusader, which came out in 2006, that's actually the basis for Reagan the movie, which stars Dennis Quaid as Reagan, and that's going to be coming out next year. And I wanted to interview him for my chapter on SDI, the Strategic Defense Initiative, because Teller, in addition to being the inventor of the hydrogen bomb, was, was the man who talked to Governor Reagan in 1967 about the idea of using missiles to shoot down nuclear missiles. So he was really the father of, well, I don't know if he was the father of SDI. I, I guess probably Reagan was more the father of SDI. But Teller was a major influence on that. And so I came to talk to him about SDI. He asked me at one point what I was writing about in addition to that. And I said I was writing a book on Reagan's face. And, and he said, he said, tell me about that one, right? And I, and I said, well, Reagan had the strong sense that he got from his mother about how the strong sense of divine providence that God had chosen him. And, and you know, Michael, the teller was riveted by that. And, and, and he kept saying, tell me more, tell me more. And at one point in the conversation, I asked him, I, I said, I said kind of innocently, right? I said, do you mind me asking, are you religious? Or are you a Christian? Or are you somebody who believes in God? He said, I am Jewish. <laughs> I've been Jewish my whole life. And I said, oh, I'm sorry, I, I, I didn't know that. I, I said, are, are you practicing? And he and then it got into a conversation about how, um, you know, I do not comment on things I do not know, which was his way of saying he wasn't sure about the existence of a creator. You know, this was like the scientist coming out of him, right? You know, you, it's like you had to measure it in a lab to know if there was if there was a creator. But at one point, we started talking. We talked about so many things. We talked about Watson and Crick and the DNA double helix which he told me he thought was the greatest discovery of the whole 20th century, more than the hydrogen bomb or anything else. And he got it. We talked about whether or not that presupposed the possibility of a designer. And, and he seemed to be sympathetic to that. I, so I wouldn't call him an, an evolutionist. I mean, maybe he he's a little also, closer to Einstein. Yeah. He, he also, in, in comparison to that whole group of, of brilliant scientists who actually ended up winning the war for us, uh, he was the one who was the most uncompromising in his American patriotism. Did that come That's out right. in, in, in your conversation? Yeah, sure did. So he, he, he left Hungary. He had fled Hungary, and he was, um, he was an intense anti-communist a very strong anti-communist. Now, Oppenheimer, of course, was sympathetic to communism, probably at least a small C communist, pro-communist at one point. And well, his, his and, wife and, and, and his brother and his lover were all members of the Communist Party, but he never right, took that right. leap. But go ahead. 
Yeah, that's right. I don't think he ever took that leap, and that's a big deal that he didn't because if you took that leap, you literally swore an oath to, to Stalin's Soviet Union. In fact, the yeah. oath was, I pledge, yeah, I pledge myself to remain a defender of the Soviet line of the party. How do I know this? I still, I know this after all these years. I've written it down so many times. The only, the only line that ensures the triumph of Soviet power inside the United States, unquote, which was why we wanted to know if he was a party member, because if he was, it would have meant that he had a loyalty to the Soviet Union. And and you're right. His brother was, his wife was, his lover was. And, and the, the other thing that, that comes out in the film, which is true, is that Klaus Fuchs, who was a spy, a British spy, was one of the few British scientists who had been welcomed into the Manhattan Project. And he also had a background as a communist and passed some of the atomic secrets on to the Russians. Uh, speaking with Paul Kangor, his uh, interview with Edward Teller, fascinating and significant. Uh, my interview with uh, Paul Kangor going to his other scientific proposition that the best way for Republicans to win is nominate somebody who can reach 50% or more of the vote. Uh, what does that mean and how do we get there? Uh, that and more coming up with Paul Kangor on the Medved Show. Sign up today for the free Medved newsletter with new columns, commentaries, and movie reviews. Go to michaelmedved.com. In a few minutes more with my friend Paul Kangor, who is a professor at the beautiful campus of Grove City College, which is located in uh, actually a charming town, Grove City, Pennsylvania. I, I put that in mind because uh, as Paul was admitting, and when we were talking about the movie Oppenheimer, he doesn't get to that many movies. So you wouldn't know that mm -hmm. one of the big movies we're, inter we're reviewing today, uh, a little bit later in the show, is a movie called Jewels which is um, actually the location is a town in western Pennsylvania. And watching it, having been to Grove City many times, it could be your town. And it stars Ben Kingsley, uh, a great, great actor of our time. All right. Gandhi, as right? A, yeah. I be, uh, yeah, known for Gandhi and known for Schindler's List. He's been in a lot of uh, oh, yeah. Oscar-winning yeah. movies. In any event, Ben Pink Kingsley plays a local eccentric who has the experience of a flying saucer with an alien landing in his backyard. And uh, yeah, uh, that, that's based on a true story, right? Is that correct? Or would they believe <laughs> it was a true story? <laughs> I, that, there, there, there are many true stories like that that, uh, that come out. But well, the, there's a, this there's a this alien, those... this alien yeah, is this, a this... charming, charming alien. Okay, okay, because yeah, because there's actually a kind of a famous or infamous UFO story about a small town in western Pennsylvania. So I don't know if if it has to deal with that or not. Maybe it's a totally what, what's the, what's the name of the town? Do you know? Oh, I, if if you said it, I'd remember it. Probably. In in this in this movie, the town is Boonton, uh, which I no, think I may be think a made that. up name. Yeah, maybe. But maybe. anyway, yeah, I'll uh, look into that. Okay. 
speaking of invaders by aliens, uh, there <laughs> are literally tens of millions of American voters who are alienated by the prospect of uh, being reduced to a, a, a duopoly, to a two-way choice of uh, either Biden or Trump. And you make a suggestion in American Spectator that Republicans need to aim for a candidate who can actually win by getting a majority of the vote, 50 percent or more. Why is that important? Yeah, I mean, you know, this isn't rocket science, right? I mean, it should be pretty simple. You know, Donald Trump in 2016 and in 2020, both times got about 46 percent of the vote. I think one time it was maybe like 46.1, maybe 46.8, something like that. But and and I write and I write the piece saying that I agree with my senator John Fetterman, you know, the, the very the very liberal and very odd who I didn't vote for, Democratic senator from Pennsylvania John Fetterman, who in a very kind of respectful interview with the New York Times, he said, you know, I drive around Pennsylvania and I see all these Trump signs everywhere. He has this strong presence in Pennsylvania, and Fetterman's right about that. And then Fetterman said, however. Uh, he still he Fetterman doesn't think that Trump could overcome the ceiling that Trump has. And I agree with Fetterman on that. And I think the ceiling is about 46 percent. And if you look right now at the real clear politics composite average, you know, Trump supporters are saying oh, Trump's down, but down to Biden by 0.9 percent. This is way within the margin of error. 44.9 you know, to 44.0. And to which I say, well, who cares? I mean, he, he needs more than 44 percent. He needs more than 46. And he needs more than 10 million votes or 60 million or 70 million. In fact, Biden got 81 million. So you need somebody that can get beyond that ceiling of 46 percent. Now, this this isn't rocket science. Well, again, it's not because the uh, the first time when Trump won the election, for instance, in the state of Pennsylvania, I was just looking this up. Uh, Biden carried Pennsylvania by over 80,000 votes this time. Uh, Trump carried Pennsylvania by half as much against uh, right. Hillary right. Clinton. And, and so all of this goes down to the idea that, yeah, it would be great if you were working with somebody like President Bush, who actually won a majority of the popular vote in 2004 uh and why should it be only barack obama who uh or joe biden who gets to win a majority so what what are the characteristics of a republican candidate who you think could plausibly get above that 50 percent of the vote win with a majority well at one point i thought ron DeSantis could do it um, but he's gotten so beat up, uh, probably more by Donald Trump than anybody else. Uh, but I, but I still think DeSantis is likable, and that and that he could get it. And and I should add here too, Michael, because I know there are probably Trump supporters yelling at their radio that uh, you know no Republican could get over fifty percent. Look, getting fifty percent plus is actually the norm. I, I mean, George W. Bush did it once. Um, his father did it once. In fact, his father lost in 92 only because of a three-way race 
where Ross Perot came in and got 20% of the vote. Bill, Bill Clinton won with like 43% of the vote. Ronald Reagan got it twice. Um, look, look at Richard Nixon. I mean, Richard Nixon in 1972 won 49 states. It was an absolute landslide. I mean, Reagan won every state in 84, with the exception of Minnesota. So, so a Republican can, can very much easily get 50% of the vote. You know, this, this isn't impossible. The problem is that Donald Trump can't get 50% of the vote. And I don't think we could convince Trump supporters of that. Well, because he, because he is he's always more disliked than even his dislike Democratic opponents. He just he he is uniquely hated by such a giant percentage of the electorate that people will run to the voting booth to vote for the other guy or gal. Well, people you know, people do bring like up Joe that Biden. nobody nobody unites Democrats like like Donald Trump. And That's right. uh, uh, and they not not Democrats who are for him. Uh, today there's a big story in Fox News. It says 46% of Trump supporters are considering voting for different candidate. And it comes to this issue of electability. And if it's not DeSantis, there are a number of uh, worthy guys. We had on Asa Hutchinson was on our show yesterday. We've had Governor Bergram from uh, North Dakota. Uh, we've had on, of course, there are all kinds of other controversial candidates, but Nikki Haley and Tim Scott and Vivek Ramaswamy, who's been on our show, uh, and Paul Kangor. I, I know you're a candidate for vice president, not president this time, but who knows? I uh, appreciate you can read his piece on Edward Teller and on the Republican future, uh, those pieces are posted up at michaelmedved.com.